to Trek Companion, episode 32. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. You guys always do that in the same order, right? I never even discussed it with you. It just happened, didn't it? It's <laughs> amazing. Today we're going to be discussing DS9's fifth season's uh, Simple Investigation episodes, Simple Investigation, Business as Usual, Ties of Blood and Water, Frankie Love Songs. We have a guest. Uh, Matthew is going to be joining us for the last two today. Um, so let's get started. A Simple Investigation, Season 5, Episode 17, Production Number 515. Original air date, March 31st, 1997. Written by Renea Caveria, directed by John Kretschmer, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Day Young as Arissa, John Durbin as Trady, Nicholas Wirth as Sorm, Randy Mulkey as Edanian Number 2, and Brant Cotton as Tovid Rim. Odo meets a beautiful woman named Arissa and is impressed by her powers of observation. Later, as he, he is surprised, the same woman is arrested for trying to break into the station's computer. Odo questions her and learns she was waiting for a man, an Iridian, who was helping her escape from the Orion Syndicate. Intrigued by Arissa, Odo decides to help her, but when he falls in love with her, he finds out there is more to this investigation than he could ever have imagined. It's not your fault. I fell in love with a woman who never really existed. She did exist. She was real. And she loved you. Okay, so, um... <laughs> this is one of those episodes where as I'm watching it, it I, I pop in, I wonder what Steve and Adam are going to think of this one. <laughs> Yeah. So, rather than my usual spoiling it immediately, I'm going to let you guys start. I know exactly how I feel about this one, but I'm I'm curious what you guys think first. Uh, Steve, what do you think? Um, I, it's not my favorite. I, I um, yeah, it, it, it's. Uh, I think conceptually it's interesting, but it's so talky or something that it, it just kind of pulls me out to some extent I, I just get kind of you see where it's going it's, it's just kind of i don't know it just kind of plods along to me you know i mean I, I, there's some interesting notions there's some potential development for odo's character and such but um yeah that's that's pretty much what i think um yeah i kind of felt the same way it's it's very it's a really slow paced episode and um for some reason i think we talked about this a couple um episodes ago i thought this episode was before odo had actually returned to his changeling shape. Yeah. Um, upon watching this, though, I did kind of um, see that, I don't know if, if it's just me, but it seemed like Kira was a little was just a little bit bothered by um, Odo having a mm -hmm. relationship with this. And so I think, mm -hmm. to me, this is actually like the first time we see Kira Oh, pondering. Herself. Yeah, pondering, a, you know, maybe it's unconscious, but you can kind of see that they're starting on her side. It could have just been, you know, when someone's your good friend, you're, you're, you know, you're hyper picky about who they're with and making sure yeah. everybody's good enough for them. But yeah, I see what you're going. I see what you're going for. Like I said, it could have been just me, but it, yeah, it's just on the, on the note about uh, we all thought this one was an episode that took place while he was a solid. Um, I did think watching it now, I think it would have been better if it had been one of those episodes. Yeah, maybe. Um, but to me, this episode works and I, I had a feeling you guys wouldn't care for it, um, as much. It works mostly because I think that, uh, the, the chemistry, uh, what's her name? Day Young, her mm -hmm. chemistry with, 
Abershamois, I think that works really, really well. I think it's it's got to be tough to cast someone opposite Abershamois as Odo. That you know, because it it's not like a character that has relationships all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're kind of going into no man's land there, and and it works because their chemistry works so well. And that's the that's the thing that keeps me going in this episode the entire time. I'm, I'm I'm with this episode the whole time. I I, I um I'm I'm enjoying enjoying it purely for their relationship and their chemistry. Um, and that said, so it is a little bit. Certainly, I agree. It's very talky. It's a little bit. Isn't melodramatic the right word? But you know the way their relationship starts and stuff, um, and it's so cuddly and. Um, it's bedroomize. It's bedroomize. <laughs> but you know, I, I think that kind of—if they did this all the time, forget it. But it, it kind of works because, and and what the movie, what the the movie, what the episode is about for me, it, it kind of works because it's this guy experiencing love, kind of for the first time. Um, you know, and and actually having well, a relationship it, when, for the first time, and I think that the first time you have a relationship, I'm not exaggerating when I say this episode kind of made me think back to my first, you know, kind of serious actual relationship and things when I was very young, and and like you know, I didn't say a lot of silly mushy. I guess that's the word I was looking for a minute ago, mushy things. You know, that <laughs> it makes sense to me here. Brian being mushy that makes me laugh a little bit. <laughs> well, you know when, when you're when you're young and it's your first time. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'd agree with you, Brian. I think their chemistry was good in this. It's actually um, it's probably better than some of the other relationships we see in the series um, encaps- encapsulated in one episode. It's um, it's kind of too bad that they um, they kind of you know my problem with a lot of these episodes that we're we're going to be watching today they're all kind of like neatly wrapped up and I mean I know that's like mm-hmm. the television formula. But this is kind of this episode is it's all neatly wrapped up at the end where it can absolutely go no no further than where it's gone. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it would have been interesting to see this maybe continue a little bit longer. Yeah, you know, and I don't uh, I don't deny that they have some chemistry going there, and I, I don't even think it's the really the mushy talk that that kind of got to me really about her. I think it's I think it's more that for some reason, and, and maybe you know, you, you whenever you watch it, you know, obviously we've seen all these before. You know how things are going to end, et cetera, et cetera. So you can't really uh, go into an episode uh, being blind to what's going to happen. But at the same time, it seemed like I couldn't buy what she was saying. It felt like that she's she was a manipulative person that has a background and something so to me she always struck me she struck me as a shady person you know i felt like someone i can't trust her and i can't and i because of that i can't really like her or something yeah and i don't think that was performance i think that was writing um i think that there were well if you think about odo he's he's intrigued by a mystery that's what attracts him he's intrigued by but how does she present the first thing she does to him is lie to him about making you know she makes up this daughter story Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm um, so when that's how you start things off, yeah. Um, and again, that's to me that, you know, that's just writing. That's not like a uh, performance. Yeah. She's not playing it in a way. Um, if anything, she's playing it as innocently as you can play a person who's making up a story about a long lost daughter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, Odo has this, I mean, he's had it the whole time, of course, this, this, um, kind of, lovely naivete from his 
you know, inexperience, right, um, with humanoids. Um, and that very first scene in Cork's um, uh, uh, bar, when she has that line you just referenced about, you know, must be your bedroom eyes or something, you know, Oda's, Oda's humorously, like, taken aback. Um, and... Um, it, it also makes me. I, I love. <laughs> I love the moment. Uh, super related it is, but when uh, when Odo goes to see Bashir in the holodeck and he gets into the limo, and they're, they're talking for a minute, and then, and then Bashir says, you know, something like, you know, I'm I'm busy. You didn't come here to talk about women. What did you? And then what did you need? And then he goes, wait, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that makes me laugh. And that was I love to see that our man Bashir some of that reference. Yeah, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how the car's moving and he's just standing outside the window. <laughs> Famously, they, they keep it, uh, the RMM to sheer stuff, as innocuous and small as possible since they got threatened with legal action from by MGM after the, after the full-on Bond episode. <laughs> That's silly, anyway. Um, uh, something else I thought was kind of funny was this notion when he mentions that his uh, experience on his home world could have been considered a sexual experience. And it, yeah. it struck me how it's like, wow, you know, you think we have trouble def- defining what that means. And like, you know, when people like to talk around something and it's like, what's sexual, what's not sexual. And it's like, mm-hmm. how is this, uh, this changeling bonding in some way sexual? It's like, it's bizarre. Oh, I, every time I see that scene, I, I expect him to say sensual. But uh-huh. he doesn't. He says sexual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's another word. Can you imagine, like, the original series using that word? <laughs> no. It was the most sexual of all the shows, and they oh, couldn't yeah. say that ever. Captain Kirk, you know, hey, you want to get sexual? Be like, <laughs> Relations. Uh, <laughs> um, what else? Are, we don't have a lot to say on this one. Come on. Um... Well, I didn't. You know, you said you 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 said Brian that you had a good feel for what it was about, and I I personally didn't. So I'm kind of curious where you're where you're going to go. Oh well, yeah. For for me, it it is about you know a person experiencing love for the first time. Now Mm -hmm. he he knows that he loved Kira, but it wasn't um, mutual. Yeah, you know, requited love is a very different thing. You know, so maybe I should be more specific and say. You know, the the first kind of relationship for the first the first first love, real love, for the first time. Um, uh, what's the episode? Children of Time, Children in Time, mm-hmm. whatever it's called. That's coming up soon, and I I hope that one is as great as I remembered it because I really remember liking that episode. That's coming up soon. Um, when I imagine Odo in that episode, so that's Odo decades older, right? Like mm-hmm. so calm and wise. And these, this episode, simple investigation, this relationship he has with this woman, this to me is the kind of thing that, you know, he's he's older, he's wiser, he's he's calmer, he's smarter. Um, these are the kind of experiences that that not just define who we are, but but that we are all kind of angling toward. You know, that mm-hmm. we all kind of need to become a whole person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like that, that Odo is, is getting that here, and I, and I believe it. Um, because so many of those very experiences 
that are necessary to be, you know, a well-rounded person that most others would have experienced long before Odo's age. Obviously, Odo hasn't experienced. In fact, every, almost everyone else, you know, all his peers on the station have experienced these things in 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 a way that he hasn't. Um, furthermore, on this same point, I would say when he does get with Kira in a year or so, that without stuff like the experiences he gets in this episode, that would not have been, mm-hmm. you know, successful. Yeah, I can see that. I think this kind of thing gives him the courage to eventually, you know. Well, it gives it gives the character gives his character more depth, believability, yeah. that kind of thing. It's definitely a, it's you know it's something that's been coming for a long time. You know what we're in the fifth season and we haven't seen it. And I think I'm um, looking back. You know, you you always kind of. Every, every character in every of the series, they at one point or another have some sort of um, relationship, whether it be brief or, you know, long engaged. And Odo, I think it took him the longest to kind of figure out what they were going to do, how they were going to do it. And we finally see it here. Well, I um, like to oh, go ahead. And I was going to say, I, I, I didn't dislike this episode. I just um, would agree with it's just a little bit slow paced. I think that maybe they could have sped up the pace just a little bit here and there. Um, well, but overall, I thought it was, it was it's a good episode. It's not I I didn't dislike it. I wasn't like oh my god. Well, part of my point is that that this to me this episode is um, deceptively important to Odo and the entire series. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. think mm-hmm. I think it's way more important to Odo and Deep Space Nine the series than it is at first blush. Hmm. Um, yeah, thanks, And then the other thing I wanted to say was. I love the way it opens, you know, we're right off the bat, we're, we're you know, uh, with Odo being invited to this Holosuite program, and as soon as he learns that his character is, is supposed to sweep up, you know, there's some girl off her feet, <laughs> he's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. two minutes later, he gets vet your mice. Yeah, and I, I made a note, too, speaking of the opening, how all, right before that point where we start on uh, characters, I mean, not main characters, which, you know, I guess we see that now and again, but it's for some reason it struck me. It seemed interesting to start with, like, who are these guys and what's going on, you know, and then and then it goes into that scene with talking about the Hall Suite and stuff. Yeah, so, so, so much of this episode isn't terribly memorable. You know, there aren't a lot of lines that you remember. There aren't mm-hmm. really scenes that you remember. Um but I do think that it has um, a lasting impact. And from that point of view, and from the, the chemistry that the two leads in this episode have, I enjoy watching it. You guys got anything else you want to say on what it's about or anything? I'm good. I think you capsulized it well there, Brian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then let's move on to... Six Degrees for Simple Investigation. Uh, Steve, you want to go first or second? I'll go first. Day Young plays Arissa, the woman Odo falls in love with while protecting her. In Enterprise's first season, she played Kayla in the episode Two Days and Two Nights. Kayla was a Tandarian disguised as a beautiful woman, and she attempts to get information from Archer about the Suliban while he is vacationing on Risa. What ploy does she use to meet him on the deck in front of his villa? Oh yes, I, I kind of remember this. Um, hmm, something about her, uh, does her dog meet his dog or something? Yes, that's mm-hmm. correct. Her dog Rilo is like growling at um, Archer's dog 
quite those. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Okay, Very good. Cool. Adam. Uh, John Durbin plays Trady, one of the two Orion Syndicate assassins on the station planning to kill Arissa. He was the, uh, the smart one of the two. Uh, <laughs> Durbin also appeared in Next Gen's first season in the episode Lonely Among Us. It's a rare first season Next Gen uh, question here. In the episode <laughs> Lonely Among Us, he played the leader of the Sile delegation. The Sile and the Antiquans are attempting to resolve their differences so that they can be admitted to the Federation. Durbin's character was inaccurately suspected of murdering a member of the Enterprise crew. What Earth species do the Sile uh, resemble? What species do they resemble? Mm-hmm. Um, like a certain Earth creature. Creature? See, this is, um, you know, those listeners out there, we all don't know everything about Star Trek, so I'm just going to guess here. Um, he looks like a... Um, a mole. A mole. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> no. Um, I'll give you. I'll give you one hint. I'll give you one hint. When he right. first got on the station, he insisted that they. Well, actually, no. This hint's confusing. I just remember that fact, and I think that's confusing. Never mind. Steve, who do you know? <laughs> um, I th- I think I'm known with the one the one you're talking about, and I and I can picture them a little bit, but I'm not, not sure what one would, um, not sure I can picture them well enough to, to identify an animal that, um, yeah, what about, um, like a wolf? You are so close. I, I should have been, I should have boarded my question better. The wolves, the wolfy looking guys were the Antiquans. Oh, okay. I must have slipped, slipped. So who are the other, who are the other guys? Like the fishy ones, like the shrimps or whatever, the big tall, was that that one? Yeah, they look like um, they look like snakes to me, and and his name has like s in it, so I figured so reptile. Oh, that's right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So I don't. So it's just going to be one 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 zero, I think. Okay, one zero. Very, this is very exciting, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Business as Usual, Season 5, Episode 18, Production Number 516, Original Air Date, April 7th, 1997, Written by Bradley Thompson and David Weddle, Directed by Sidig Al-Fadil, Music Composed by David Bell, Guest Cast Include Lawrence Tierney as Regent, Josh Pays as Gala, Tim Halligan as Farrick, Eric Kadora as Customer, Charlie Curtis as Tallura, and Stephen Burkhoff as Haggath. <laughs> Quark's cousin, Gala, arrives at the station with a business proposition. He offers a piece of his weapons-selling business to Quark, which would pay off all of Quark's debts within a month. But the best part is Quark will technically not be breaking the law. Instead, he will be in charge of hospitality, showing customers a good time and allowing them to test replicas of their weapons in his hollow suites. But when the station turns their back on him and the death toll rises from his sales, Quark must decide between his conscience and his profit. Suppose I offered you 10 million bars of gold-pressed latinum to help turn out one of those lights. Would you really tell me to keep my money? Now, you guys talked about in the last episode uh, that it was talky and stuff. For me, this episode is very, very plotty. It's like plot, Mm. plot, 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 plot. and I, I tend to get, I tend to lose a little bit of interest when that's happening. I guess it's just a perfect example. Like the last one, 
maybe they went too far in the direction of, of, you know, talky, but when I'm engaged in the characters, when I think when there's chemistry there, that's enough to kind of sustain me. Like I, I can watch an indie movie. That's just a few guys talking for a while, you know, if, if it's good characters and stuff. Um, but plot often bores me. And this episode, oh, I wouldn't say it bores me, but it's, it's very, very plotty. And I, I don't mean P-L-O-D-D-Y. I mean P-L-O-T-Y or something. I understand. Yeah, I can see I can see that. Yeah, sometimes I have trouble separating that notion of having, you know, a plot plot to also being just very predictable in plot, too, or something, you know. But, yeah, I mean, you kind of know where it's going to go pretty early on. And again, it's always it's kind of hard to pull yourself out of the fact that you know where everything that's going to happen when you watch these. But I think I think it, it's a it's a little predictable and such. It, it's funny. There's some funny stuff. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, there's some good acting and whatnot, some guests and stuff. But yeah, Mr. Pink, <laughs> Mr. Pink, you're Mr. Pink. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, yeah, he wasn't Mr. Pink. He just said that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some other, some guy on some other job is Mr. Purple. <laughs> um, well, Stephen Burkhoff also. We're talking about um, Tierney, but uh, Stephen Burkhoff. Really cool to see him. I definitely was a big fan of his when I was a kid. <clears throat> he was like the villain in all my favorite action movies from the eighties. Mm-hmm. I still watch. I still watch Rambo: First Blood Part Two occasionally. <laughs> when he was he was the first Beverly Hills Cop too, wasn't he? Right, he was one? the villain in that movie. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that's cool. Um, but, um, I don't know that this scene, because it is just, you know, plot, plot, plot. Um, there are a couple of scenes that I like. I, I like the scene where, um, Cisco threatens Cork, you know, Cisco mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, and Kira, they like spin the chair around and he, he really, you know, we always like it when Cisco sounds pissed off, right? <laughs> so, it's always fun for us. So, um, that was that would be my problem with this episode. You know, you have that big setup scene, and then um, I talked about it in the last step, in the last show we did, um, where all the these episodes they just kind of end weird for me. This one, this one mostly because it's like you have this big setup, and then it just I, the ending makes sense, but it's just all really wrapped up. And then you have that scene at the very end with Cork and Cisco, and they're discussing what's going on, and she's like, "Works for me." It just seems very. The end yeah. just seems kind of very weird. Not just kind of doesn't fit what Cork did. You know, it's kind of like, "Oh, it's okay, Cork. You, you know, you were involved with all this, um, but it's okay. You go back and tend your bar, <laughs> but pay for." It. I don't know. I, I think that's probably, like, I mean, that's just the television thing where, you know, they just have to wrap things up really quickly. You know, that's what they did in this episode. I like the first half of this episode and the second half kind of just is really fast and wrapped well, up. I do like what they're, you know, the question that they're, you know, what it's about. I, I like what they're trying to do, these, these questions of, um, you know, like, for example, how, how far is too far for Cork? You know, he's, you know, I don't know what the number is. But for a while, he's just happy making profit. But how many people dead? He's happy making profit. <laughs> but once you get to some certain number, which clearly 28 million people is above that number, <laughs> then, you know, he starts to, uh, you know, his, his morality kicks in. And uh, um, the old, his, uh, his view of the Federation, like, is being like root beer, you know, is <laughs> working here. And uh, he isn't willing to go that far. That's the point, you know? So we, so we kind of see, um, 
Torque's limits. And, um, you know, he says, what, what have I done? And even to hear him say that line about, you know, I have to stop them. What the worst thing they can do is kill me. You know, what's one life compared to the lives of 28 million people? Even knowing that he has his limits numbers wise, I, I have a hard time hearing him, imagining him say that line, say in the first season. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's one life compared to the lives of 28 million. I mean, that sounds like a very, you know, Federation-evolved sentiment to me. Mm-hmm. Well, the, of the two um, court conscience episodes that we're seeing today, I think um, I liked um, Frankie Love songs better. I think they did a little bit better job of um, of looking at Quark's frame of mind. And I guess this one kind of sets up the, the next one. They're kind of close together, if you think about it. Yeah, it's they're oddly close together to mm-hmm. me. And they kind of both have the same... A little bit of the same meeting um, about Quark, you know, and, and we'll talk about it later, but it's basically kind of the same plot structure, just a bunch of different stuff going well, on. If anything bothers me about it, not bothers me, but it does seem like anytime we're going to analyze Quark, right? Anytime mm-hmm. we do an episode that asks questions about Quark, they're always kind of the same questions. <laughs> it just oh, you- it seems like they're, they're so often the same questions. And today, maybe it's just because we've got two episodes almost back-to-back that are asking the same question. You know, as opposed to other characters, um, well, we're going we're gonna to have a, a, an episode today that, that shows some mistakes that Kira made in her past and does have nothing to do with, I don't know, what, what do we usually see with her? Maybe something from the um, uh, Bajoran resistance, something she did as a terrorist or something. That's not what, that, what she's going to be doing in that episode at all. Her mistake there was just, it had nothing to do with that. It was just another completely different aspect of, of a human of human life and error that we haven't um, analyzed before. We're going to learn a lot about her. Um, but here, we're asking the same kinds of questions about Quark, you know. Um, what has to happen before his um, allegiance to uh, making profit isn't number one, you know. He is less Ferengi in that he cares, you know, We've had these kind of questions before. We've had these kind of discussions before. I don't know. I guess my point is that it, after a while, it makes Quark seem a bit one-dimensional. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to it down there. I can't remember off the top of my head how they deal with Quark um, basically after Ferengi love songs. But, I mean, he encapsulates – we'll talk about it later. But he encapsul- I think he encapsulizes his, uh, his whole – state of mind in that episode better than he does in this one like this is kind of a setup to that one maybe they did that on purpose it should have been maybe it should have been a back-to-back episode a two-parter i guess this would be the closest thing to a two-parter to court (laughs) oh my god can you imagine 90 minutes of zach whining or something (laughs) um so you know cork takes an action in this episode that's almost like a physical thing that's unusual for him i don't know i said we're kind of talking around in circles we're kind of beating around the bush on this i guess we don't have a lot to say on this one i don't have a lot to say on this one no yeah i mean i think it's i would agree with you you know it's they haven't gone anywhere else with quark in a while they kind of keep Uh, repeating the same things yeah put it put it this way the episode we just talked about with with odo and how i said i felt like it was deceptively important episode i can imagine if you take that episode out um, some um, future blocks would start to fall. You know, mm-hmm. some of the future things with Odo wouldn't make as much sense, right? And that was mm-hmm. an episode that was an Odo character building episode. If this is a Cork character building episode, if I take this out, uh, 
does it even affect Frankie Love Songs two episodes later? I don't think so. No, I don't. Yeah, oh. I don't think so. What did it affect? What is that? What's that episode where all the Frankie get together? They go to save magnificent um, Frankie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just wouldn't have Galen in that episode. <laughs> Galen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is the first time we've actually seen cousin Gala, right? Yeah, I think so. We've heard about yeah, him a lot. So. Yeah. Remember, it was cousin Gala who gave him the. Uh, the shuttle. shuttle that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have much to say, so we shouldn't waste any more time on this. <laughs> you guys got anything for what it's about? It's, you know, I guess we're talking, we're talking about these same kinds of, of themes and questions that we've gotten with Quark as far as, um, you know, what are the limits of his greed? Essentially. Yeah, I, think, I think that's it. There's a, there's a, the scruple limit, one's tolerance for some moral choice. I think uh, everyone has a has some kind of limit. Not everyone, yeah, everybody does maybe. have that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think he says early on when right after Galen um, tells him this proposal, he's like, I'm Cork has a line. He's like, what do I have to lose? And I think it, throughout the whole episode, he realizes that he has everything to lose. I mean, his friends, mm-hmm. his relationships among DS9 and in, in, in the, in the life that he's built there. And I think he comes to the conclusion that he doesn't want to lose that. And, that's his conscience speaking to him. And I guess this, I guess you could say this whole episode is about Quark's conscience building. No, I, I like this point you're making. I hadn't really thought of it that way. That's very good. Yeah, like it, they certainly take the trouble and time to show him with how important his friendship with Dax is. Um, and he is hurt by its loss and he wants it back. And yeah, yeah. Okay, very good. We'll go with uh, we'll go with Caesar on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. All right, business as usual. Six degrees. Uh, what do we got here? Steve's got one. Adam's got nil. Zero. Okay. Adam, you want to go first or second? I'll go first. Lawrence Tierney plays the Regent of Palomar, who has a small need to kill. 28 million people in the next gen episode the big goodbye now i i figured you guys were expecting me to ask about this right so i'm i'm asking a couple of like a little more as picky questions i think in the uh, next gen episode the big goodbye tyranny played the gangster that was dixon hill's nemesis what was his character's name and i've got multiple choice for you all right sydney Greenstreet, nikki the nose or Cyrus Redblock. Um, I'll go with C. Cyrus Redblock. You are correct. It was C. Silas Redblock. Block. Little trigger. Nikki the Nose was from First Contact, right? That is correct. Do you know where I got the name Sydney Greenstreet from? <laughs> that, it's an actor. <laughs> uh, that was the Cyrus. The name Cyrus Redblock was a, a reference to um, a similar character in. Um, oh shoot. Maltese Falcon, named Sydney yeah. Green Street, right? Um, an, act, an actor in Maltese Falcon. Actor? Mm-hmm. What was I thinking? It was a character. Oh, no, right, right. No, you're right, right, right. The actor who played that same Right, movie. that okay. played that, yeah. Sorry, right. Okay, uh, so we got one-to-one. Steve, mm-hmm. how is Cyrus, Cyrus... Oh, this would be so easy for you. How is Cyrus Redblock defeated at the end of the big goodbye? <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen that. Jeez. Um, that was a first season episode if I'm remembering correctly I, I believe so yeah I believe so yeah. God um, that was 25 years ago I know that's crazy <laughs> that's crazy um, 
You know what? I just I just don't remember. Um, someone shot him. I don't know. Nope. Adam, you remember? Um, <clears throat> this is one of the very first Hollow Suite episodes. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. What do they? They gain control of the Hollow Suite and they turn it off. No. Uh, <clears throat> they walk off the Hollow Suite and de- dematerialize. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, talks him into walking off. Mm-hmm. All right. So what do we got? We're, we're at um tied up, I guess. Tied up. One to one. Uno. All right. We're going to take a short break here while we add Matthew. Hello. 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 Matthew. Hey. Yeah. Do you go by Matthew or Matt? Matt's cool. Matt. All right. How you doing, Matt? I am really excited to be here, you guys. <laughs> oh, we're excited to have you. <laughs> cool. So, wow. yeah, I know it's it's taken forever, but uh, oh no, it's been worth the wait. Cool. So, um, how did you get into Trek? What was your first Trek? Um, my very first Trek was when I was five. My my dad took me to go see Generations when it was in the theaters. Wow. <laughs> cool. <laughs> now we all feel old, don't we? <laughs> That's and then, awesome. and then, like right afterwards, is when they started showing the reruns of TNG, and I would have my mom tape them. So that that was my gateway in. Hey, at least you still have tape. You still have <laughs> oh yeah, I remember tape. I'm not, you know, I'm, I was born in the '80s, so it's not like I'm one of one of those '90s children. So, <laughs> so uh, Next Gen was the first show that you that you. That yes, you liked. it was. Mm-hmm. And, it was, um, but DS9 is actually my favorite. So. Cool. We agree with you on that one. So you you know all the shows then? Oh yes, very much so. In fact, I've been looking forward to the Six Degrees for a month now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Been studying hard, huh? <laughs> oh, I don't need to study. I'm one of those like walking, talking encyclopedias. Wow. Do you go to um, you know how, what kind of opportunities do you have uh, to talk trek with people? Do you have friends or do you go to the talk track do you go to conventions um i i don't well not a lot of friends my age watch trek unfortunately but the 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 new movie did help with that but Mm -hmm. still not a lot of people watch trek who are my age but um, i'm actually going to my first convention in august i'm going to be in vegas so that's going to be fun and i went to last year's uh the the uh creation show oh really yeah okay so you got to see that was um Nimoy's last appearance, wasn't it? Yeah, that was incredible. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to that in August, and I'm actually the host of one of the um, uh, Star Trek podcasts called The Delta Quadrant. So, and I know you had Josh on a few weeks ago. He's my co-host. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Very cool. How's that going? Oh, it's fantastic. I've never podcasted before, and it's, it's turning <clears throat> into like one of my favorite hobbies. Cool. So uh, you, you liked um, Abrams' movie? The new movie? Abe, well, it's, it's, are, are we actually recording this? Cause it's going to, Oh yeah, we are. This, We're this, recording. May, this is going to piss off a lot of people. Abrams. Oh, no, Trek, it's okay. Abrams check is my favorite. You like that's, that's why was that going to piss off? Oh, are you kidding me? Like you go online and go to like different message boards and there's a ton of hate for the Abrams film. Nah. Oh, those are, those are the traditionalists. Yeah. Out there. Yeah. Hey, no, I, no, I, there's Abrams yeah. movies. Great. You know, it's a lot of fun. It brings a lot of people into the, into, into Trek, um, I, I you know I I think it's a great movie. I am I went and saw um, Phantom Menace last weekend and was highly disappointed. And I came home and um, they actually the the new Trek film was on TV. And I, I have to admit, like the Abrams, I like it better than all 
all through all three of the first um, Star Wars films. It's just um, oh yeah, prequels, yeah. Well, and I, uh, I saw that thing. It, was, it came out in summer, and I was off from school, so I saw that thing like eight times when it was in theaters. Wow, awesome. <laughs> well, I'm curious, Steve. Do you remember when um, Next Gen came out, and like uh, the original series purists refused to watch it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I kind of, um, I kind of got into Next Gen as it as it went a little bit, like within the first year. But uh, I certainly remember the press and and all that stuff talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, you know, and I, I'm genuinely excited for the next film. I don't know. I'm, I'm totally anti-spoilers, but I saw was, those, those photos are awesome. I, I saw, I looked say. at like one of them only because I saw in the headline, it said, <laughs> and someone spotted an IMAX camera in one of the pictures. Yeah. Like, holy crap. Yeah. Cause they have not announced anything about shooting on IMAX. No, they haven't. But when, if you look at the picture, it's clearly there. So something is going to awesome. be an IMAX. Sweet. Yeah. All right, so um, we ready to do this? Yeah, absolutely. Ties of Blood and Water, Season 5, Episode 19, Production Number 517, Original Air Date, April 14th, 1997, Teleplay by Robert Hewitt Wolf, Story by Edmund Newton and Robin L. Slocum, Directed by Avery Brooks, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Lawrence Pressman as Leggett Gamore, Mark Alemo as Gold Ducat, Thomas Kopache as Kira Tiban, William Lucking as Pharrell, Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, and Rick Schatz as Gant. Kira meets Gnor, a known Cardassian dissident, hoping he will lead the opposition to the Cardassian Dominion Alliance. But Gnor reveals he hasn't long to live, but he may still be able to help Kira's cause with the Cardassian ritual in which the dying reveal secrets to their family to use against their enemies. But when Gul Dukat reveals a dark secret about Gamor's involvement in a Cardassian massacre at a Bazoran ministry, Kira must resolve her emotions about who is Gamor and what her feelings are toward him and her own father. Maurice, it's a good plan. But I can't help you. Why? I have Jaromfeld syndrome. It's terminal, Maurice. I'm dying. This is a fascinating episode to me for one reason. Kira and her problem in this episode, what, what she did to her father and what she does to Gamora in this episode, I never quite understand where it's coming from. And it, it always kind of interests me. And I'm always trying to think about it and figure that out. And that, that kind of burns through this episode every time I see it. It's weird because I always remember this episode as having like way more, I remember it as the flashback episode, but it's not. It probably has three minutes of flashback mm-hmm, the whole time, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, they don't even do a flashback until probably like 10, 15 minutes in. It's kind of yeah. weird. It's like, oh wait, they're doing a flashback. Yeah. Uh, so I would like to start off right, Matt, and ask, because you know, whenever we, we've had, we've had a couple uh, listener guests on mm-hmm. and I always let them choose so matt chose ties of blood and water and ferengi love songs so matt why did you choose ties of blood and water what is it about this episode you think that that it holds up i think well this episode is just an example of like one of the things that i think ds9 excelled at even more so than any of the other tracks and that's character exploration i feel like we really really delve into kira's past not that we haven't before but um when you get into this fifth season area, the, the way that they um, examine the characters and their past and why they do the things that they do, it's always so fascinating to me. And this is one of my 
I, I would say I would put it in my top five Kira episodes. Wow. So that that's specifically why I wanted to be on this one. Well, you know, I like how uh, I don't mean this like in a negative way, but I like how almost nondescript her father is in this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, because it is that Gamor is 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 the guy that you remember, remember from this episode. That's how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, he's her strong father figure. Right, and this is his second appearance in the show. Right, actually, from the uh, second skin was the last time we saw him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um. So it's like it's almost like her father. They've got this this kind of nondescript actor playing him. We don't see, you know, we don't go into any detail. It's just he's dying. There you go, you know. And I kind of I kind of like that. Um, but I hate to focus right in on it. But but what I always gets me on this episode is why does she why does she leave? You know, she says like I couldn't stand to see that strength slipping away, so I ran. You know. Like, what does that exactly mean? So she does the same thing to Gamora. Right. What, what is that? Well, the, I, mm, go ahead. Uh, well I was just going to say, I think that because um, her father was the only parent she really got to know, because in, in a later episode in the sixth season, we find out her mother was taken away from her when she was very, very young. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I guess from that <laughs> character standpoint, it, it makes sense that if she grew up with her father she identifies the most with him and just, just to see, you know, him dying like that probably was very, very tough for her. So it's a very selfish act. It is a, it is a selfish act. And I think that's why she regrets it. And that's part of this episode. I think, I think what, uh, what I have a little bit of difficulty with is tying that event to what she does with, with um, Gamora in the sense that so she remembers that and maybe she's shamed from her actions in that or something like that so we flash forward to Gamora who's her current father figure strong guy and he's going through what he's going through and, and, I, and I don't really understand what would prompt her then to I mean I, yeah we have the whole issue of she found out that he was involved with something but that's kind of we understand that he was kind of peripheral involved in a very peripheral mm-hmm. fashion with that event so it's not really anything to that but why does she then choose to do? I mean, it, just the reminder of that. Maybe he, yeah, feel like so maybe the he doesn't deserve. That, I don't, that's what I don't really. This have. is what makes it interesting to me. I don't think it's a. Um, I don't think it's like a mistake or something. I think it's. I think it's you know like what Matt was just talking about. What this show does better than anything, you know, is this kind of character stuff that it's that to me is in a way it's like real. Sometimes the answers, you know, mm-hmm. it's not so clear. There's something about this that is similar to her. It's it's conjuring up the these these um, memories. Guilt. Um, guilt. That's well. It. I mean, you, well, I mean, you think about it. When she left her father, she wasn't. I didn't really believe that she was um, motivated by the fact that she didn't want to see her father like that. I think she was motivated by revenge. She wanted well, to get too, even. That too. She was. And, she was like, "We found the Cardassians who did this to you. We're going to go get them." Yeah, she wanted revenge, and I think guilt. That's that's an easy one. She would have. She would not have um, stopped seeing Gamor. Well, I mean that. that well. Yeah, I think she. I don't. I would disagree with you. I think guilt is a very powerful emotion, and I think um, that guilt was all brought up by by Gamora and her father. If we're saying she felt guilty because she left her father's bedside, right? Mm -hmm. Then why would she leave Gamora's bedside? Because Because she she wasn't there for her father, and she was going to be there for this man who wasn't her father. She wasn't. She left him. She she didn't stay at his side. Well, also she went back throughout this whole episode. 
and even in Second Skin, toward the end of Second Skin, he's the one card, Gamora is the one Cardassian that she actually has respect for because she thinks he's different than the rest of them. And when she finds out that he was involved in some sort of, I guess it was military campaign in, in this episode, she's very, very, it, it's almost like a betrayal. And she may, that may be an excuse for why she leaves his bed, but, but she, she, that's what she grasps onto. And then, See, I think you know, that's what it is. I think it's an excuse. I think she was looking for an excuse to leave, to just run away from her father, from her father dying in front of her. And she's looking for an excuse to run away from Gamora. Um, and when she finds out that he was in, involved in such a peripheral, um, this one campaign when he was 19, that's enough. And she runs away again. Right. You know, and it's so, so it's, it's like the, the fault really is. And this is, this is what's unusual for Trek or even DS9 to me. It's like the fault is truly completely in her. She, you know, she has a character flaw here where she can't be for these people that love her that she loves that need her at this time because it's too hard for her to see someone that she respects and loves and the needs in life um die in front of her and that that is such a selfish thing but it's it and it it is a complete character flaw that she runs away but then there's not really all these other things are just excuses Right. And I can totally see that viewpoint. And I, I think I agree with it. But at the same time, and I know you weren't saying that this is a, a detriment, but I think this is what I love about DS9 is that none of these characters are perfect. I mean, next gen, as much as I love that show, like all the characters are very pristine and they never do the right, the wrong thing. You know, they're always selfless. And I love seeing these characters that have these sort of flaws, that they are selfish, that they make the wrong choices because it, it benefits them. These are more people that I can identify with. And I think that's, that's to the series um, strength. Yeah, well, it also I, gives you somewhere to go, you know, mm-hmm. um, there, there's more to evolve with the character when you have these, these things that you can make better about them. Yeah, well, yeah. In, in in drawing that analogy between the two series, I think on the on the whole, not always, not for all the characters necessarily, but on the whole, Next Gen is more about plots than it is about characters. And so the best episodes tend, not always, but tend to be things that are have a certain story, and that's what you remember. And then DS Nine yeah, tends to be yesterday's more enterprise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I and and on to the Kira thing. Just my quick thoughts on that too. I think pretty much in line with what everyone said. But I think with her, I think it's comp. I think it's very complex. I think one way to look at it is you have the notion of I wasn't there for my father. I had to take off and do this and do something else because I didn't want to sit through him while he's dying or whatever. And because of that, I feel weird about doing the same for this other person who is a Cardassian who I respect, but maybe that's a little weird. I also think with Kira, she's so action based. You know, I, I think her sitting through somebody, sitting, yeah. even if she feels <laughs> that's a noble thing, sitting through him while they die is just goes totally against the grain for her you know it's like i want to take action or something you know i can't mm. just sit there and watch it i she's so uncomfortable with that and so she has to she found some reason to go away you know yeah well even before she went away to kill cardassian she was constantly running away from his side just trying to find a medic i'm doing yeah, something yeah. I'm, I'm finding a medic you know yeah. if she could have picked him up and carried him 10 miles to a hospital that would have been yeah. a much yeah. better way for her to deal with, with and she just did something like this a couple of weeks back with darkness and the light i mean she was pregnant at the time she had someone that she had to take care of but at the same time everyone was dying mm-hmm. around her and she didn't want to sit idly by and wait mm-hmm. for something to happen yeah and she didn't she split you know she went right. and took care of it you know this- um th- th- there's one scene in here that 
we haven't even mentioned the B story. <laughs> no, I was going to say like this episode has something that I really love, which is the return of Wayun. <laughs> oh yeah, I, you know they killed him off, and he he was. So, Combs was so perfect as the Vorta mm-hmm. in a way that no other actor before or after could pull it off. Well, no they one just could do made it up like a reason to bring him back. Uh, clones, you know? And you We're know what? I'll, with that. I'll buy that because I want to see him back anyway. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, Brian, you're always kind of like, I love Garrick. Well, I kind of love I kind of love Wayun. I'm yeah, Wayun's like good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, so there's the scene where, where she goes... Um, to show Gamor Yoshi. Um, oh, it looks like a doll, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> always, they'll do like a whole bunch of shots um, completely covered up the back. It's a doll, not even moving right. And then they'll give you one shot right at the end of an actual baby's face. Oh, right. <laughs> show me the baby's face first, and then I'll maybe think it's a, not a doll the whole time. Um, but no, there's the scene, and, and um, Robert Wolf referenced to this in some of my, my um, prep work as well. when she's standing there and it's like, this is her son that is not her son. And this is her father that is not her father. Mm -hmm. And this is the only family that she's going to have. And this is who she is. And and that to me is, is pretty, a pretty interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, Kira has no family. They're either all dead or yeah, they're all dead. I think so. And it, and it and in a way too, it kind of is. Uh, it's uh, it looks towards the the whole notion of the kind of the twenty first century family of um, you know that family. The definition of family is a very extended, you know, mm-hmm. varied thing now. You know, I think it's what way. it's what you make of it. Yeah, yeah. I found interesting about that scene. You know, you you think about we think about these characters just on the station, and um, you hear Gamora talking about kind of how her her infamy, infamy outside of the station. You know. Because you think about it, she, th- these people are very public figures, and you don't get to kind of see that mm-hmm. other side of them. You know, you, you got to think that Cisco's very much revered, and people probably worship him on um, on Bajor, but you don't really get to see that, what what people outside of the station kind of think about. It. We kind of got a little bit of a glimpse of that with Uncle Moore talking about how Kira's looked upon out, you know, outside the station. I thought that was interesting. You don't see that much. That was cool. You're right. There's also the, um, yeah, that reminds me. I think it was Ira Bear talking about how he always thought that uh, the primary crew on the show would have been like celebrities, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And just well, even just walking around the station, people would be like, oh, look, there's, there's Jadzia, there's Dax, you know? Well, you think about it, like these people it, five years into this show have had some major influences on what's going on in the Alpha Quadrant. I mean, it's all like the, like DS9 is a lightning rod of activity. Mm-hmm. Well, go, well, Matt, going back to your, I think the first time we actually see it is in the movie Generations, where the press is following around Kirk and asking yeah, him questions oh, yeah. on the bridge yeah. of the Enterprise. That's, I think, that's actually the first time we see kind of the celebrityism the, of, the, of the, these characters. The twenty-third paparazzi. Yeah. Paparazzi. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a podcast in waiting right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, real quickly, we need to mention, um, so there's the, the storyline with... Um, Goldicott. Um, well, yeah, there's that too. Oh, I like, the, I like the, <laughs> the bit where he's trying to... Look at that. See, that's, that's the sign of a good episode when you can spend the entire time mm-hmm. and, you don't, and Goldicott's in it and you don't even mention him. And Wei Yun's in it and you barely mention him. 
Goldacott and Kira have a great scene there. Where she, oh yeah, I love that. There, there's this one. There's that one particular shot where I forget what he says, but Kira kind of like smiles and then like throws something at him. Yeah. I <laughs> that was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so anything else you want to discuss? Uh, what it's about or anything? Uh, you know, I have to say the montage kind of made me chuckle. I don't think it was supposed to. Anybody well, else? You know, it's a, montage it's a is just montage. still dated. Yeah, it's it's very nineties. Yeah. Um, okay, I think we've covered this one. Yes. 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 Everybody feel good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're moving on to six degrees for ties of blood and water. Hmm. Matt, would you like to go first, second, or third? I'll I'll go first. Why not? Everybody always says first. That's very good. Thomas Capoche plays Kira's father. Taben, mm-hmm. uh, who dies calling for his daughter. In Next yeah. Gen's fifth season, he plays the Romulan Miroc, whose scientific experiments have gone awry in the episode The Next Phase. Uh, good what, episode. Yes. What has happened to LaForge and Rolaren? They have become phase cloaked. That is correct. They have been cloaked. Very good. <laughs> okay. What's, what's the remaining score? You guys each had one, mm-hmm. right? All Caesar? one. Okay. Yep. Uh, Steve, in Voyager's yes. second season, he also played the same guy, Thomas Capoche, who played her dad in the flashback scenes. Uh, in Voyager's second season, he also played Viorosa. Uh, Viorsa, excuse me, in the episode The Thaw. In this episode, Viorsa and several other members of a coal settlement have taken refuge in a virtual reality program. Unfortunately, their fears have manifested themselves as a villain in the program, and they are unable to leave. Michael McLean- McKeon played Fear. What was he? Ah uh, mm. yes, um, yeah. he was a, a a clown. That is correct. He was a clown. Now, if I hadn't said Michael McKeon played Fear, we still got. <laughs> yeah, by the time you got to his name, I remember okay, the nature yeah. of the episode. I, stuff, I was yeah. worried I was giving it away too much right there. Uh, okay. he's, a, he's always Mr. Green included me. He's Mr. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. <laughs> I'm going to. I always remember his like last line. I'm going to go home and have sex Sweet. with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Because, see, it was a joke because you thought he was gay the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, Adam. What, this, okay. Uh, Lawrence Pressman returns as legate to Kenny Gamore. In the final episode of DS9's third season, he played Ambassador uh, Krajinsky's changeling and the first changeling to be harmed by another when Odo kills him. What were his final words? He whispers them to Odo. Ooh. Um, what did you say? Something like... Um, it's too late. We're everywhere. That is correct. You are too late. We're everywhere. Wow. Look at that. My questions just aren't hard enough. Everybody's got them today. No, no, no. You guys are all very smart. That's what it is. <laughs> Here we are. Ferengi Love Songs, Season 5, Episode 20, Production Number 518, Original Air Date, April 21st, 1997, Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler, Directed by Renée Abrichonois, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Includes Cecily Adams as Ishka, Max Grodanchik as Rom, Chase Masterson as Lita, Tiny Ron as Mayhardu, Hamilton Camp as Lek, Jeffrey Combs as Brunt, and Wallace Shawn as Zek. Depressed over his lot in life especially from being blacklisted by the Ferengi Commerce Authority, Cork goes to his homeworld of Fernanginar for some comfort from his mother, Ishka. Ishka is clearly uneasy over Cork's visit, and Cork soon learns the reason behind her uncertainty. She is in a relationship with the Grand Negus Zek. 
Now Quark must choose between family and his profit, and his decision could have long-lasting effects on Ferengi society. You knew the truth about the Negus all along, didn't you? You mean about Zek's failing memory? Let me think. Hmm. Well, you know, now that you mention it, yes, I did. That's why you wanted to destroy his relationship with my mother, not to protect him, but to expose him. Adam, why don't you kick us off on this one? Um, as I was talking about earlier, this was I like this one better of the um, the of the Quark episodes that we sell today. It's kind of two almost back to back. I think uh, my favorite scene in the in this episode is when Quark is talking to Ishka and he's talking about how he's been influenced by um, humans, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> how their ideals, and he's like they they bra- they brainwashed me and um I. I you don't really you get pe- little little <laughs> bits and pieces of that from Quark, and it's um, and it's funny because he's always talking about how um, everybody else is being brainwashed by the Federation, and now um, he's realized that he has been See, brainwashed as well. Doesn't brainwashed have a negative connotation? <laughs> oh, for sure, but I I don't think he likes it. He's, he's well, for, for him it is a negative connotation. So it's a bad thing that he feels this way. Yeah, he doesn't like being Federationized. <laughs> he wants to be crazy. Is he half joking? Like, you know, the half of him that's 100% Frankie, not joking. But there's some part of him that partially is. No. Well, we hear it, we hear it when he t- when when he comes back and um, Ishka's like, you know, Quark, you're a real Frankie. You you turned on your family um, for profit, and he's like, well, when you put it like that, it sounds so good. But but, he's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he realizes that he doesn't feel good about it. You know, I think I think I think uh, Quark is moody. I think we see these two episodes, and I think there's two things going on. One, I think he's moody, and two, I think he just like everybody does plays a little bit to who he's with. You know, if he's around Ferengi, I've got to be Ferengi, and I got to say, hey, this is awful, and I'm doing this human stuff, and this is whatever. And but he's around human friends. He got to, you know, not not so much so that I would call him two faced, yeah, like but consciously, he's not. Good. Yeah, but it's just that's just what he does. You know. Well, that's his nature. He's a people person. He yeah. kind of fits in with with the crowd when you Matt. think about it it's a, it's a good business practice you would like play to, to the to your customers mm-hmm. wants and needs yeah matt do you you like the frangi specifically you did choose this one yes you, I, you like I, cork you like i love it all i mean a lot of people like to you know crap on the frangi episodes and say that they're silly or stupid and you know they are silly and they're kind of like nonsensical but this show it sometimes gets really, really dark. I mean, once we get into the sixth season and the war, it's very mm-hmm. dark. Yeah. But and these episodes, they don't take. I don't think they, they're silly, but they don't take away from the dramatic impact of the show. And they 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 they're just a good time. I, I always have fun when a Ferengi episode is coming out. You know, I th- on this I'll say this on this one. I I I do, I do laugh at certain things or certain funny things, and I think and I think it does. Uh, progress the Ferengi storyline that kind of we see throughout the whole series of where the culture is going. And and if I if I had to say something negative on this one, I think I I don't mind silly either. But I think in some ways this episode is kind of the same silly and the same jokes and the same thing that we've seen in other Ferengi episodes. And sometimes that kind of just kind of struck me as okay, here here we go again, you know. But yeah, well, I've talked about too, you know, not just Quark, but the Ferengi as a species sometimes can get one dimensional, you know, Star Trek, they do that. It's a shorthand. It makes, you know, we Mm talked about that, you know, the Klingons are the war people and, you know, Ferengis are the, you know, we know what they are. Um, 
but unfortunately sometimes that makes it so that especially when it's played a little bit more you know cartoony like it is here this particular episode sometimes that can get tough for 46 straight minutes i think this episode would have been a little stronger if they had had the b story which they go to occasionally you know is um rom um mm-hmm. uh, and uh lita planning marriage and um you know lita doesn't want to sign the frank equivalent of a prenup or whatever that is um i think if that b story because they go back to it I don't, I don't know three or four times if that b story had not instead of being that had just been something completely unferengi related i think it would have made yeah, the perhaps. a story a little stronger it would have made it um, the, the, it would have given us given us a, a little break during this episode, and when we came back, it wouldn't have been you know so much, mm-hmm. so much, so much Ferengi. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. saying there was too much Ferengi in this? Well, you know, it's it's okay, Brian. You could say it. <laughs> we've got we've got uh, Zek and Moogie. That, I think that was a brilliant a brilliant idea, mm-hmm. um, but it, it does feel a little much it's like your lobes are a little overstimulated I think so <laughs> too much Ferengi and not enough Garrick <laughs> well that's all they, they should have just had a whole show that was Star Trek Garrick <laughs> <laughs> I do love, it makes me laugh out loud whenever uh, Garrick or, you know you to be saying it whenever <laughs> whenever Cork comes back from his first day as like Zach's assistant and he says uh, it was a hard day, you know. Zach didn't do such a good job, or something. And then, and then, uh, Moogie says, "Did you try stroking his lobes?" Like, no, I didn't stroke his lobes. <laughs> but as to go back to what you were saying earlier, yeah, the Ferengi are a bit one-dimensional. But the thing I like about DS Nine is that it took the Ferengi, which I think truly were one-dimensional in TNG. I mean, they were just you know profit-hungry villains, and to a certain extent in DS Nine, they still are. But I think the great thing about DS9, again, is that um, they take these, these species that have these certain qualities, like the Ferengi or the Klingons, and they give us faces to um, put them to, and they make us identify with a few short characters. So, like, we have Quark and Rom and, you know, Moogie, who are – they represent – there's more to them than just, you know, profit. And the same thing goes with the Klingons when we get things like Martok, who is a warrior, but there's so much more to him than that. And don't get me wrong. I, I, I would much rather have, you know, like when you think about the first time we ever saw the Fringy early oh next gen, and, you know, they, there, there was no definition to a culture there. I would much rather have what DS9 has made the Fringy become. I'm just saying, um, I'm just saying that you, you need a little bit when it is going to be uh, one dimensional you can't spend the entire time on it. So, yeah. you know, Orc is great in the ensemble of you know, seven or eight characters on a Star Trek show and none of the other ones are Ferengi. That's perfect. That's great. Right. It's when he, when he goes to Ferenginar sometimes, um, and we're, and not just that, but we're cutting back to a B story, which is a Ferengi kind of story on this station that, that, that felt like a little bit much to me. That's all. Well, the episode is called Ferengi love songs. Wait till you get to next season though, with the magnificent Ferengi. I think that's the first, like, <laughs> best one. Yeah. yeah. I do remember really liking that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The, the nice thing about I'll say this: the nice thing about the Ferengi and these series, they're they're able to use the Ferengi to, to kind of show more about our own society, about our own flaws in our society. I mean, they talk about it a lot in here: equal rights for women and that kind of thing. And those are definitely a lot of issues that go on in our society to this day. And and that's the nice thing about these different um, 
different species, whether they're Klingon, Ferengi, Romulan, whatever, they all kind of rep- represent uh, an aspect of of our humanity um, as flawed as they as they might be, and it, it gives them the ability to kind of talk about it and and show it to people without necessarily being too offensive. Mm-hmm. So have we? We've kind of hit on what this one's about already. Yeah, I mean. It's it's I, I can't find like I I know you guys like doing what's the message of the episode at the end mm-hmm. of each episode I don't know what the message is here exactly but like I said it's just a silly fun little romp and and I I just take it for what it is I mean you guys are gonna hit the jackpot next uh, next season when you get quirk and drag but uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is a guilty pleasure of mine actually but um, uh, for all of us I'm sure yeah but um, as far as this episode goes it's just you know. Typical Ferengi drama, you know. Yeah, we talked. We talked about this earlier with um, with Quark's last episode. I think we kind of we see the same kind of um, plot twists and things like that with Quark. It's um, I think when as many times as we've seen this episode, and obviously we're watching it kind of in bunches now. We you'd kind of like to see a little bit more variety in how they handle Quark and his situations. It kind of seems the plot structure seems to be the same each way. And I'm, I'm actually well, kind of looking forward to next, next yeah. season. Cause I think they start changing that up a little bit. They do. Well, they did yeah. a great job whenever they, they mixed him with the Klingon stuff. That was right. fascinating. They did a couple of those. That was great. Um, then wait till he goes to the mirror universe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Uh, yeah. It doesn't like a, Zek and Rom go, don't they? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, their business Quark, it's Quark, Rom, and Zek go all over to the Mirror Universe. <laughs> um, okay. So it sounds like we've covered this one. Everybody mm-hmm. feels good about it. Yeah. yeah. Watch, this, watch this episode for what it is and have a good time. Don't. I like that Rom me. gives all his money away so that he can be with Lita. Yeah. 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 True love. Yeah. True love isn't even strong enough. Word. They're not strong enough words. Whenever you're describing a Ferengi, that would yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, true. Yeah, well, well, it's Brian's mushy episode. He he's in a mushy <laughs> love, love field kind of mood. Actually, he's got bedroom eyes. Against this on on Fringinar, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> giving all your money away to charity. There's probably a law against that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Six degrees for Ferengi love songs. All right. What is our score? Matt has infinity and. Steve has. I think we're tied at two. Yeah, I think two, so. Two. All right. Okay. Matt, would you like a traditional kind of question or I've got a behind the scenes kind of question? Um, let me go with a traditional one. Why not? All right. So I'll, you'll go last. Uh, okay. Steve. <laughs> yes. Get Steve the behind the scenes. Uh, Cecily Adams takes on the role of Cork's mother after the previous actress, Andrea Martin, declined to return. Why did Martin decline? I should have taken this one. <laughs> <laughs> Why did she decline? You um, may still get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, was she unavailable working on other projects, something like that? Nope. Uh, Adam, since you're getting the second question, you get the first chance to take. Do you know it? Um, I'll go with a Ferengi type of thing. Um, money. She wasn't getting paid enough money. No, there was not a money question. Matt, you know the answer? Yes, it's because the she didn't like being in the makeup. It was too That is correct. She Damn. went a little nutty wearing that <laughs> claustrophobic makeup. <laughs> Very good. Matt knew the behind the scenes. Ooh. Okay, uh, Adam. 
Yes. Cecily Adams will play Ishka for the remainder of the series. In how many episodes will she appear as Cork and Rong's Mo- Rom's Moogie? Is it two, four, or six? I'm going to say two. No. Hmm. Um, Matt? Are you counting this one? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, so we got Ferengi Love Songs, Magnificent Ferengi, Prophet and Lace, Dogs of War, four. That is correct, four. All right. Um, Matt, here's your actual question. Hamilton Camp plays Lek, the Ferengi that receives business advice from Grand Negasek. In Voyager's fifth season, he played uh, Verilk, the leader of a Malon export ship in the episode uh, yes. uh-huh. Extreme Risk. He attempts to retrieve Voyager's multispatial probe that is trapped in the atmosphere of a gas giant. Voyager essentially beats him to it by constructing a new shuttle. What's the name of the shuttle? That would be the Delta Flyer. <laughs> oh, my God. Look at that. That's a clean sweep. <laughs> uh, That's okay. the Voyager guy, a Voyager question. Yeah, it's real fair, Brian. Thanks. <laughs> uh, he picked number three, but <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. I think Matt won today. Fair and fair and square. Fair and square. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very good. This is one All of the right. rare times that Steve and I tied. He's oh, yeah. But nobody will remember because they'll just remember Matt's Matt. glorious victory. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so what episode are you guys on on the uh, Delta Quantum podcast now, Matt? We just finished season one. So tonight we're going to record a season one retrospective. Nice. And uh, I think next week we're going to start with... Um, Amelia yeah, Earhart? Probably. I think it's Amelia Earhart is the first one, which is unfortunate. <laughs> but um, it's either going to be that one or Projections, where the doctor oh, has hallucinations of Barkley. Uh, that was, to me, that was the first great Voyager episode. I mean, really incredible episode. I love that one. Right. Um, but uh, so, it's, it's a lot of fun. We were, uh, and we actually, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this tonight on our show, but we actually found that we liked first season more than we thought we did. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't think I've watched the first season of Voyager since, probably since the DVDs came out. Crap, yeah, that's a either. long time ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've been busy, uh, Brian. Well, I guess so. Hmm. You know, you we didn't your, you, you need to get your priorities to One of the episodes we discussed today was um, we, we didn't even mention, but you know, um, uh, Yoshi was crying the whole time, and <laughs> Bashir or uh, O'Brien had to like, you know, hold him or he would cry, and uh, yeah, that was hitting close to home right now. Um, so, uh, Matt, I'm sorry. Uh, so, where tell the folks where they can find uh, the Delta Quadrant podcast. Uh, you can find us at deltaquadrant.lipson.com. We, we're a weekly podcast. We come out. On Thursdays, like you guys. Cool. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. Um, our official show Twitter is at Delta Quadrant Cast, and that's spelled at Delta Q U A D T underscore Cast. And you could also find me at my own personal Twitter, which is at M Hansen. That's M H A N S E N zero two zero seven. Excellent. Cool, cool. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a blast. Thank mm-hmm. you for having me. This was awesome, you guys. Um, and everybody else we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks you can follow us on Twitter that's uh, I really need to just permanently record this because I never remember anything uh, <laughs> at Trek Companion uh, or Facebook.com slash Trek Companion we have a website it's pretty minuscule that's uh, TrekCompanion.com and you can send us an email TrekCompanion at gmail.com if you would leave us a review on iTunes that would be the coolest thing you could possibly do um, Steve will pay you $5 every time you do that. <laughs> okay. But um, 
thanks you so much for listening. Thanks to Matt for joining us. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. We're going to do the next three episodes of DS9 in a couple weeks. All right. Have a good couple weeks, guys. Bye.